Welcome back to Administrative Static. Uh, Mark Chenoweth and John Vecchioni with you. And we are, as, as John intimated, we are uh, joined again by uh, Peggy Little because she's had a busy month. And, uh, and Peggy uh, uh, has been leading uh, NCLA's uh, effort in a case called National Center for Public Policy Research v. Securities and Exchange Commission. And unfortunately, we did not get a great result uh, in that case from a Fifth Circuit panel uh, earlier this year. Uh, and so we have uh, asked the Fifth Circuit on uh, banc uh, to uh, uh, to overturn that panel and and set aside the NASDAQ board diversity rule. Maybe maybe can we start, Peggy, by reminding the audience what the SEC board diversity, and I should say, I should use the plural, board diversity rules, because there are multiple rules at issue here. Correct. NASDAQ came up with a series of three rules uh, that essentially um, require its members, NASDAQ members, to um, have a certain composition of board members uh, by race, uh, gender, and sexuality. Right. You have to have at least one woman, at least, and then at least one ethnic minority or sexual orientation minority. And I don't know why those two get to uh, you know, substitute for each other, but that's how they wrote the rule. Yeah, it's the whole thing is, <laughs> amongst many other things, incredibly arbitrary. It's also ill-defined since it uh, it doesn't uh, it it is uh, your race, uh, gender, or uh, sexuality as as you self-identify it. That's right. That's so, right. Uh, but it came up with these rules, and the way the statutory um, regulatory system works is that the SEC has to approve all of Nasdaq's rules. And so the SEC did approve these rules, and NCPPR, our client, uh, challenged those that approval by the SEC. And the the main reason why we filed the challenge is the rules uh, require the SEC to approve all of NASDAQ's rules because it is required to review the rules to be sure that they further the um, purposes of the 1934 Exchange Act under which that power is given. Now, the 1934 Exchange Act is all about uh, fair and open markets um, uh, and uh, regulating, um, you know, honest markets, et cetera, um, disclosures about uh, uh, financial and other uh, disclosures that pertain to share value, et cetera. These rules have no bearing and no relevance uh, to the 1934 Act's purposes. And so that is the main thrust of our objection. Right, because the rule says that, that you have to meet that quota, or if you don't meet the quota, then you have to explain and uh, why you don't meet the quota, which, and we can get to the fact that that's a compelled speech problem in a minute, but but they also require the companies to publicly disclose information about their director's self-identified gender, race, and sexuality and then they, they have this list of sort of ready-made list of directors that if you can't meet it, then they'll, you know, they'll, they'll offer you some directors you can put on your board to meet this quota. I, I, I just struggle it's, to see what it has to do with fair and orderly markets. It's astonishing. It has nothing to do with fair and orderly, orderly markets, nor does it have anything to do with the proper governance of, cor- of a corporation. Uh, those are irrelevant surface characteristics. Uh, you are not supposed to be asking people who apply for jobs right. any of those questions. And since when did it then become acceptable to not only ask people about these characteristics, but to make it a condition of a board membership that they possess them? It's it's astonishing. 
Right. I, I think I'd be tempted if I were in one of these companies to, to, to not worry about the rule. And then when they said, well, why didn't you meet it? To say, well, because we're obeying the employment discrimination laws. So we don't ask people these questions that are unlawful. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, You know, that would be, that would be a fun way to, to respond to that. Um, uh, I don't want to jump to the first amendment if you want, if you had something else to say about, uh, about the rule. There is definitely a first amendment problem. And, and I think you need to look at this as, um, as really a public, uh, wokeness and shaming regime. What they're requiring NASDAQ companies to do is to show who is on their boards and and what kind of diversity they have on these particular characteristics. And if you don't have them, uh, you have to have a forced explanation as to why you don't have them, which violates um, well-established Supreme Court and circuit law that that kind of compelled speech is impermissible for the government to demand of you. Yeah, you don't have to prostrate yourself in front of the government. Oh, mighty government! I'm sorry that I haven't, I haven't obeyed your vo- your voluntary, uh, you know, recommendations on on board membership. But here's why I haven't. I mean, that's just uh, that that's. Uh, I mean, I would say that's quintessential First Amendment violative kinds of kinds of rulemaking. It's also very troubling in that they have this list of people who will supposedly help you fill out your board and. You know who gets on the list? How, Are you on the list, Peggy? Are uh, you for some reason no? They, they didn't. They didn't include you as a. <laughs> but but you know, diversity. Think about person. it. The government coming up with a list of who should be on these very powerful companies' boards. Little, little spooky. That there's no role for the government to be playing in that in that selection process. The company um, has to do that. I mean, if you're Boeing. You should not care about the race, gender, or sexuality of your board members, but you might be looking for an airline safety expert to be on your board. Right. And there's uh, uh, no no concession from the these rules that that is the proper inquiry and that the board should be making those under state law um, provisions for how a board governs itself. Well, and, and you, you make a good point, which is that these board governance things typically are a matter of state law. And so here you have the SEC coming in. The SEC is supposed to be focused on the markets themselves, not on the companies, not on the board composition of companies, but on fair and orderly markets. And they're really, this these three rules really tread on traditional state state areas of regulation. And 16 states filed an amicus brief in support of our position on those grounds of the state law governance, uh, federalism grounds, and also that this is outside the SEC's purview, which is the argument that SEC, uh, that rather that NCPPR made in this case, uh, that the, the, st- the um, Exchange Act statute actually prohibits this kind of rulemaking. Yeah, that's that's a great point because I, I think I skipped over that too fast. The main argument in the case is you have no statutory business doing this. That you don't have Congress never gave you the authority to pass this kind of. In fact, it prohibited you from passing exactly. this kind of rule. The 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 uh, power that SEC has to approve the rules requires the rules to have a relation to the thirty four acts objectives, and they are not permitted to permit a rule unless it meets those objectives. And you know what this all reminded me of when they were talking about when I looked at this is that Elizabeth Holmes really was allowed to get away with so much because she was a young woman, <laughs> diverse woman on a board running the company, and they gave her so much running room because of that. It didn't improve the markets. Everybody who got involved in that really got hurt. That wasn't the metric they should have been looking for. 
And I think this also tells you the, the sort of regulatory creep. One of the things that everyone should be paying attention to on the ESG movement is, okay, maybe environmental impact has some financial element to it. Maybe. Um, social? No. Governance? No. The SEC has no business uh, it, it, treading into either one of those areas. And when you lump them together, <laughs> there's a sort of assumption that that they will all be proper subjects of regulation. They are not. And I think this rule and, and the uh, decision of the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals is going to be very important in removing the G from the ESG. Although I have to say there's an argument if you're putting your CVS in San Francisco, Chicago, any city like that, you might be injuring the shareholders. <laughs> well, be, well because, Disney, because Disney, of the losses that you're incurring. Right. Yeah. Well, Disney just disclosed in its its corporate uh, uh, fi- a recent corporate filing the damage that its wokeness has done to its share uh, value. Sorry. And that's a very important development and one that needs to be watched here. Yeah, uh, abso- absolutely. So uh, w- how do you think the, the Fifth Circuit's going to rule? Uh, well, it was very pleasing. You have a great record in the en banc uh, with the Fifth Circuit. <laughs> we filed our um, en banc petition, and the day after, the SEC ordered, or rather the, um, uh, the, the court Circuit, ordered, yeah. the Fifth Circuit ordered the SEC to file a response. That's a very encouraging sign that the court is interested in en banc review. We drew a particularly bad panel, and their decision I, is... I would think of it as a unrepresentative panel of Fifth Circuit judges. Yes, and I think the, <laughs> the, um, the decision is full of holes. They took 17 months to, to issue it, and it still <laughs> doesn't hold water. And uh, I think the, uh, fifths, many of the judges on the Fifth Circuit will be interested in a en banc review of this. Uh, that is certainly our hope. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's uh, I think that's uh, very likely. Uh, and and do you, do you expect any uh, uh, any more amicus briefs to come in, or is, has everything come in that that's coming in in this case? Um, I think it has uh, the, okay. the state's brief. Um, we do expect that if en banc is granted, that there will be additional briefing on the fact that this really is a public shaming and cancellation operation. And the reason you know that is when AFBR, which is the Alliance for Fair Board Representation, filed a co-petition. They had filed first, and then we joined, and the the two petitions were... um, And they filed their own petition like a month ago. Exactly. But when they filed their their first um, uh, petition for review, they had to do that under seal, and every single party to the case agreed it needed to be under seal, because of the fear of cancellation, and the court agreed. Now, you got to realize courts do not enter confidentiality and sealing orders readily. They're very hard to obtain. This had no objection from every anybody because they knew that any party that was a NASDAQ-listed company that dared to say this rule is wrong would be subject to immediate boycott, cancellation, and the other uh, tools of uh, social media. And so the, sh- the fact that this is a government-supported public shaming operation is uh, supported by the very framework under which the case was brought. That's National Center for Public Policy Research VSCC. Stay tuned. We'll keep you posted on what the Fifth Circuit does. Thanks, Peggy, for coming in and talking about it. Thank you for having me.